He's a native Texan, president of the Fredericksburg Tea Party, a student of Ben Franklin and John Locke, and he's a Christian conservative political activist. He's a true believer in the principles that this country was founded upon and comes to you every day to guide, advise, and lead you to become involved in the greatest political experiment in the history of our planet, self-governance. We don't get fooled again. He's Matt Long, and this is The Matt Long Show. Good morning, folks. So happy to be here with you on a drizzly, uh, strange, it's going to be one of those weird days. I left the house in shorts this morning and um, probably going to end up in sweaters and long pants. My first winter I spent in Fredericksburg, and I was tracking it, I wore long pants five days only in the first winter I was here. And I said, man, this is it. I have found the place I want to live the rest of my life. And then, of course, the next year, I it was it was a nasty cold winter. So anyway, welcome to the uh, Matt Long Show. We have a great show lined up for you today. I've in the studio with me, uh, Mr. Lee Spiller. Good morning, Lee. Good morning. Great to be here. Yeah, thank you for driving over and coming into the studio. Monica Klein is going to join us here later today. But today's program is pretty much going to be all about, it's kind of a warm-up and a getting ready for the um, event on Tuesday night. And so the way we're going to break this program up today is we're going to start by talking about Tuesday night, and then we're going to bring Monica Klein in on the phone, and then we're going to talk to Lee Spiller about his uh, engagement, um, his part of this uh, Tuesday night presentation. So Lee... Um, can you tell us what to expect Tuesday night? I think what you'll what you'll see is a pretty broad discussion of what's going in our, on in our schools, whether it's the textbooks, whether it's uh, what's in our libraries, uh, social emotional learning, and school mental health. And uh, you know, I'm the executive director of Citizens Commission on Human Rights Texas. We deal with abuses in the mental health system. Never dreamed we would be addressing this in schools yeah it is it's quite a surprise and and we're going to get into a lot of that one of the things i want to talk about today is the the concept of we all need mental health but we need mental health you know every time there's a a shooting or some insanity that goes on um everybody from left to right uh, you know says well we need mental health we need mental health and i want to, we're going to talk about that today Tuesday night, uh, Texas Education 911. If you want to join us on this website right now, TexasED911.com. TexasED911.com. And that'll give you a good idea of, uh, of where we're at and, uh, and, and what we're talking about. And so we had our first two guests on yesterday, and that was Melissa Beckett and Kristen Bentley was on the phone, and uh, they are two of the four that are going to be presenting on Tuesday evening. This is at 7 o'clock at Faith Christian Church, and that is on Sydney Baker South, uh, 1205 Sydney Baker South. So you take Sydney Baker, you cross over the river, past the mall, and uh, the, uh, you will find um, Faith, Christian down, uh, Faith Christian Church a wee bit down on the left. They would like to ask you to um, RSVP for this so they can have an idea of how many people are going to do that. And so if you will go to 
WTP, uh, or We the People Liberty in Action website, um, L-I-A-T-X dot com, and you can RSVP for that. This is a free event, is it not, Lee? Uh, That's correct. It is free, no charge. You know, I don't know what they're planning, but last time I went to an event there, those church people had uh, had a little spread. They had some pizza. I, I don't know what to expect. Last time it was uh it, last time I was there for an event uh they were uh, very very nice people there. And so what they're going to be doing is how are we saving what what are we doing about our, our Texas schools? Uh one of the things we talked about yesterday is that uh this these folks I used a $5 word multidisciplinary. Are you impressed Lee? That's impressive. Yeah, I mean, you know, the bottom line is it's all about parental rights. Parents yep. have to be the one that's driving the train. And uh, so that is, uh, we heard yesterday from uh, Melissa saying it. we've got to take it back. It's our responsible to hold them accountable. And the idea of there is no police force, so to speak, for lack of a better word, there is no enforcement of these rules. And one thing that uh, I, I remember thinking on the way home yesterday, and it was like, well, why didn't I think of that when we were on the air? The founders of this country said that our, our country and the way our, our system is going to be set up is only for a moral people. And um, I believe, what was it, Thomas Paine, uh, whose little booklet, uh, basically ended up saying that the more laws that a country has, the, the, it, is, it, it is a reflection of how moral the country is. In other words, the fewer laws you have, the, the more moral. It's a reflection of your community that you are a more moral. And so the more laws we have are a sign of how we just don't, know how to uh, how to discipline ourselves does that make sense lee makes absolute sense and that's that's really the shame of it you know we we keep putting more and more stuff uh you know social emotional learning for example where we're trying to mold the values attitudes beliefs and behaviors of children and yet you know for centuries people have gotten by on morals manners discipline etiquette and now we're replacing it by psychology why yeah it doesn't make any sense and then uh, my favorite movie of all times, and I was thinking of it this morning, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And by the way, it's a great book, too. Um, in fact, it was a better book than a movie, even if you like Jack. Um, but, uh, it, you know, our mental health, the way we look at mental health since I was born, and I wasn't engaged when I was born in, in these things, but we were putting people, we were storing people away, were we not? Basically... Anybody that had mental health issues, we just removed them from society. Is that way way we did that in the uh, late 50s, Lee? Yeah, late 50s all the way through the 60s. Um, in fact, that's why our organization was started, was to make sure that people who had been picked up had rights. Tell, tell me about, you mentioned that your human rights. Tell me again about this organization qu- right quick. Yeah, you know, we deal with uh, human rights of the mental health system, uh, one of the most basic being um, informed consent, for example. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's it's ironic that up until COVID, the number one call we were getting on our abuse hotline was, uh, help, I'm in a psych hospital and I can't get out. Wow. And, I mean, people, some of them actually walked in to ask about outpatient services. Mm-hmm. 
and had the door locked behind me. And had to, to, that's probably what they would do for me. If I had a flat tire and pulled out in front and needed to go in and use the phone or something, that they'd probably see me coming and lock the door right behind me. And this is not a laughing matter, and, and I'm quick to make a joke like that, but the, these are not laughing matters. And uh, one of the things we have found out is that, that the um, – is that the concept now is um, pull them out, medicate them, and send them on their way. Drug them and send them on their way. And it seems to be the solution to everything in our life today is just another pill. And uh, we're going to get into that and talk about that. But we've got Monica who just called in. We need to take a short break. And when we get back, uh, stay tuned, folks, when we get back. And uh, we've got a great program lined up for you today. 100% He's 100% Texan. Matt Log on the Hill Country Patriot. Texan the Hill Country Patriot. <laughs> All right, folks, there we go. It is Friday. If, uh, in case I don't say it, um, be nice to the tourists for crying out loud. we got Lee Spiller here in the studio. He's a tourist, and if he's driving downtown today, he, he wants to be treated right. So y'all always be kind to the tourists. And right now, we're going to get uh, Monica Klein on the line with us, I hope. Good morning, Monica. Good morning. So, Monica has been on the Matt Long Show before. She is, uh, we are so excited that she lives in the Hill Country now. I remember a mutual friend of ours calling, it must have been about three years ago, um, and uh, saying, Matt, it's so excited. There's this awesome lady moving to Fredericksburg. I can't wait for you to meet her, and it's been a real pleasure. Monica has a website. You need to take a look at it. It's called ittakesafamily.org. Ittakesafamily.org. And Monica is going to be one of the four presenters at this Texas Education 911 event this coming Tuesday night in Kerrville. And I have been describing the four of you guys as kind of uh, multidisciplinary. So would you tell us what what area you are playing in uh, saving our schools, taking What's your specialty, Monica? Uh, well, thank you. Thanks for having me here. And we're so excited to get to Kerrville and to be able to share this message with all the parents in the Hill Country. My specialty is in comprehensive sex education, and that's the graphic sex education that parents all over the nation and really across the globe are so worried about and are trying to get out of their children's schools. Uh, but I'm also, over the years, have become more and more educated on social-emotional learning, which is the mental health programs that they're implementing in our schools as well. We have those here in Texas. And so I'll be talking uh, about both of those topics uh, through Texas Education 911. You know, I have to tell you, Monica, and I've confessed this to you before, but when uh, I, I first heard the term social-emotional learning and it was explained to me, I was all on board. I'm thinking, hey, this all sounds great. Would you, would you tell me where I went wrong and why, why this is, is sold so easily into schools? 
Right. Well, it is. You know, just like comprehensive sex education and a lot of these programs that parents are taking issue with, they sound good. Language is so important. You know, it's presented. Really, it's a sales pitch, Matt. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a sales pitch of this is why you want it. This, so it's really convincing the public, convincing parents that these are healthy things for their children. Uh, with comprehensive sex education, you hear things like, well, you, you don't want your children to get a sexually transmitted disease. Well, absolutely. Great sales pitch. I don't want my child to get a sexually transmitted mm-hmm. disease. Of course, comprehensive sex education goes beyond, above and beyond, you know, disease. They normalize disease. They normalize high-risk behavior. Uh, and so here we have uh, social-emotional learning about managing emotions. Well, of course I want my child to manage emotions. Mm-hmm. Um, but but we, we need to take a step back as parents and say, well, isn't that a parent's job? Isn't it a parent's job to teach children self-control, uh, good character traits, work ethic, things like that? Why are we now abdicating our responsibility to a government institution or to any institution? We have come into a place of our culture where we believe that parents are no longer the primary authority uh, for children, but instead we think that we should be trusting those experts out there to do it for us. And, and that's the number one thing that we need to change about how we parent our children is that we, our, our kids need us. We're the ones have that authority and are the primary educators. But really, the other thing I want parents to know is you need to look at the foundation of these programs, whether it's comprehensive sex education or social-emotional learning. And when you dig into the foundation, you begin to realize that it was based on foundational beliefs that are contrary to most families, and especially here in the United States of America. Uh, So social-emotional learning is actually founded on Marxist theories. Uh, and really what they're doing is that they're m- mentally manipulating our children to comply with a new ideology or a new doctrine. And that new doctrine is relativism, which is not new, but it's accept anything and everything. And if you don't accept anything and everything, whether it's homosexuality, transgender ideology, Marxist theory, socialism, communism, then they use almost like gaslighting they let the children know that they're wrong uh, and that if, if they don't care for people or if they want to be bullies, then mm. they, they'll, you know, they're rejecting these things. And so these are, it's really a mental manipulation of our children that is disguised in very positive language, but it's changing our children and what it's causing them to do is to comply. And here's an example of social emotional learning. Uh, one of the programs for example, says that children should learn to um, understand before being understood. In other words, you need to understand the other person before you are understood, before your position is understood. Hmm. Now, as adults, you know, we, we hear that, we think, well, that's pretty good, you know, because we, we want our children and, and as adults to, to listen to other people and not just, you know, focus on just ourselves. But children are very concrete thinkers, and so what this is being used to do is, for example, with children coming in who believe they're another gender, uh, and a little boy or wants to go into a little girl's restroom because the little boy now thinks that he's a little girl, mm. uh, what the girls are going to be told is that they need to understand this transgender child before they think about their own feelings. So in other words, you need to let that little boy that you know is a little boy come into the bathroom with you because you need to care more about his feelings than your own. 
Mm. Uh, and so those are the problems, is that they're actually um, creating problems um, in the schools and in their environment, and they're asking our children to comply to that. That goes against the values of the, uh, that their parents are teaching them, and really it goes against their own rights for privacy. Mm. Monica, you use and we use the term they a lot, and we talk about what they are doing at our schools, the, and, and a lot of us kind of understand that we're talking about the progressives or the, or the uh, yeah, yeah, that's who we're talking about. And yet, and, and uh, so there's like this us and them thing, but you used to be a they, did you not? And I think this is important for people to know you used to be in the past were a they you were on the other side tell us a little bit about that yes i was a they and i was a, a liberal and i was a progressive um i was tra- i was a comprehensive sex educator uh, for over 10 years i was trained by the gay community i worked at a gay organization uh, and i was also trained by planned parenthood on how to teach graphic sex education to children or comprehensive sex education and, and I'll let you know that, you know, uh, you know, I was taught that we need to teach children anything and everything when it comes to sex because the progressives believe that the children are involved in every possible sexual activity. And if they're not, they will be. And so they want to teach children all about all of the sexual possibilities out there uh, and then teach them how to, quote, unquote, you know, reduce their risk by using condoms, getting tested and having abortions. Um, and in those uh, in those workshops, as we're teaching the children, uh, they also taught the children how to accept all kinds of sexual uh, sexual orientations. In other words, they they did, and we did, and I did because it's how I was trained, is to teach the children that our sexuality is really on a spectrum, uh, and to stop being so heteronormative. And the way that we did that is that we used gender-neutral language. Mm-hmm. And so if, if I was teaching a group of girls, I was still going to talk about every possible sexual activity between girls even and, and try and, and not assume that all the children in there were heterosexual. Uh, and that just really begins to lay that foundation to give children this idea, to plant that seed in their mind that you're really not heterosexual, but that you're actually on a spectrum. And you can choose whatever you want, and none of it is wrong. Um, and so we're seeing that with social-emotional learning as well, as it takes a relativistic viewpoint on morality, and, and it teaches the children that anything goes, except for conservatism. You can't be a conservative. You <laughs> can't right. be a Christian. That's, right. that's where they draw the line. Uh, so when I did become a Christian, a lot of that changed for me. Uh, and that's why, after 10 years, I ended up leaving and started blowing the whistle on what comprehensive sex education really is. And now I'm blowing the whistle on social-emotional learning. Wow. We're so proud of you. I'm so happy to know you and proud to know you and, and honored to uh, be working aside, uh, alongside with you occasionally. One of the interesting things, and maybe make this one kind of the last comment here, is, and I've heard this recently when we were talking about the uh, the nasty books in the school, the pornographic books in the school, one of the uh, liberals said to me, well, Matt, they have, they, they, they're all doing this, they're all looking at this, they're all getting it online, and I remember that being the attitude in the 70s and 80s as well, 
of, of teachers and schools and counselors saying, look, all the kids are using drugs anyway. We might as well how, tell them how to be safe. And then as I got to be older and looked around, I realized that no, not all the kids are using drugs at that point. They weren't. It wasn't all of them. And I believe to this day that this assumption that they're all looking at pornography on the line or that they're all engaged in sexual behavior at 12 or 13 or 14 is just false. Do you agree with that or do you think it's uh, everybody's doing this? I think the perspective that we need to take is that just because some, uh, which I don't know what the percentages are, doesn't are doing these things, doesn't mean that it's healthy for them. It, it just you know so we can say well there are adults who are having uh, sex with children. Uh, the, the percentage is rising. Are we now going to call that healthy and normal? No, we're not. No. Uh, so just because it it happens doesn't make it healthy. Mm. And so we can even look at the data from the CDC. They still consider, even though they also push comprehensive sex education, the CDC, their data also says that sex in childhood is a high-risk activity. Mm. And that is also supported by the fact that majority of the STD cases every year are among ages 15 to 24. Mm. That is a high risk. This is disease. Now, we can look at that and say, see, they're all having sex, so this is normal. No, we have to look at what the data is telling us. It means that the CDC is saying that the, that the STDs are at epidemic levels for young people. That is a negative. That is unhealthy. That is wrong. We should not normalize contracting a disease as a, you know, as a normal thing. Right. And so, so that's the real question that we need to be saying is, it's not healthy. So for an adult to say, well, since kids are looking at porn anyway, let's give them more porn, right. makes no sense whatsoever. And this is exactly why parents should be leading the education of their children, not only at home, but even in the schools and in the culture. Because if we leave it to people who are not caring for children, that's the result that you're getting. Mm. They're doing it anyway, so let's continue to lower the bar. I say I care for all children, including children who identify with with other orientations. I want to protect all children from being sexualized. I want to protect all children from men being mentally manipulated by these progressives. And I want to help parents get equipped so that they can care for their own children. Mm, Monica, let's uh, remind people this is Monica Klein. And for all my German listeners in the Hill Country, it is uh, C-L-I-N-E, C-L-I-N-E, Monica Klein. And um, it, uh, it takes a family.org. It takes a family.org. Monica, thank you so much for, time, uh, for taking your time today, and I look forward to your presentation. And as I said, to, as I said yesterday to uh, Melissa, I don't know how in the world we're going to get all four of you guys in there on Tuesday night in an hour and a half. So um, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a great ride on Tuesday night. Monica Klein, C L I N E. It takes a family dot org. Thank you again, Monica. Thank you so much for having me. All right, there you go, folks. Um, we're going to take a short break, and uh, when we get back, um, man, I'm just going to turn the mic over to Lee, and I don't know, I may just leave. He says he knows how to use all this equipment here. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. 
He doesn't just complain into a microphone. Blah, 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 blah. He's president of the Fredericksburg Tea Party. Matt Long on the Hill Country Patriot. TexasED911.com. Check it out. We'll be right back. The Hill Country Patriot. Now, there's a good Irish band for you. Back in the day, their uh, their van broke down when they were first starting to tour the United States, and I worked in a truck stop north of uh, Houston. And uh, their uh, bus broke down, and their van broke down, and uh, so in the middle of the night, uh, they were uh, changing all their, uh, uh, moving all their guitars from the broke truck into the new truck, and uh, they hung out in the truck stop for a while, and even gave me this little mirror i don't ne- really never did figure out what it was for but uh one of the one of the guys gave me a mirror so a small mirror so there you go i don't even know if i have it anymore we have in the studio lee spiller and i've known lee for a few years um because he is engaged at the capitol if you spend any time at the capitol with me this next year and we're going to talk more and more about my schedule going up there but i'll be real regular you will meet Lee Spiller in the hallway. He is one of our friends. I, You know, we use this term allies, and it's almost one of these terms I'm afraid to even use anymore because it's gotten taken over. But uh, Lee Spiller is an ally. So, Lee, tell us a little bit about yourself, please, sir. Sure. Um, you know, I've, I, I'm the executive director of Citizens Commission on Human Rights, Texas. I've, uh, I started about 25 years ago. My boss was working to get shock treatment banned for the elderly. And I had had um, a great aunt who'd had it, and my best friend's mom had had it. And I saw the effects. It was it was funny. I was making a career change. I actually had a job. I was about to start it. It was a good-paying job. And my boss called and said, hey, we need you to work for the rest of the session. And I said, what's it pay? And he said, next to nothing. And I said, I'm in. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, in about three months, I interviewed about 120 shock survivors and mm. At that point, I was hooked. You start hearing what happens to people who are institutionalized, and it's hard to leave that alone. Yeah. I need to talk to my mom more about that. My my father's mother, my grandmother on my father's side, apparently um, had to endure shock treatment. My mom knows more about that, and I need to get with her someday and, and hear more of that story. And then we mentioned it takes a... Uh, we mentioned the the movie uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest earlier. Great movie. Is, is that is, was that movie? I know movies are fantasy and all of that, but when you look at that movie, is there how much reality was in that depiction? You know, they threw some comedy in, obviously, but I felt like it was very realistic. And in fact, uh, during COVID, one of the problems we had was people being held and then denied visitors. Mm. And they were denied in-person visitation much longer than uh, people in regular hospitals. It was ironic. My uh, my wife had a heart procedure at the hospital during COVID. I got to stay in her room. If we had turned the other way in the parking lot and gone onto the psych unit, I wouldn't mm. have been able to see her or be with her or help navigate that system. Mm. And, you know, to me, that's just incredible inhumanity because you're locked in a place you can't leave. You need help navigating the system. People are using big words and can't have visitors. That's that's reprehensible. 
Mm. But with schools, I think one of the main one of the main things right now is uh, parental consent and parental knowledge, because these social emotional learning programs, like Monica said, you know, they tug at our heartstrings. They lead us around by our heartstrings. Mm-hmm. They promote these things that sound great: empathy, manners, mm-hmm. right? And yet, uh, you start looking into the programs. You know, you have kids analyzing their perfectly normal emotions. You know, recently I had a girl in uh, Leander ISD, and in English class she had an assignment where she was supposed to pick an emoji that described how she felt mm-hmm. and explain why. Let me ask you, sitting across the desk from me right now, can you explain why you feel the way you feel? Of course not. No. Mm-mm. But we're asking kids to analyze that kind of stuff? Yeah. In the middle school health textbook, you've got a, an exercise where if you think a negative thought, mm-hmm. You're supposed to say to yourself out loud, stop, and mm. then reframe that thought into a positive. What a great way to tell the bullies who to pick on. You just look for the kid that's walking down the hall and says, stop. Mm. Right? It's that crazy. Abs- ab- oh, yeah, it is that crazy. So they, um, the, 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 I was looking at the electro, and I didn't mean to come back to this, but the shock therapy seemed to be when i saw it as like i got no no medical education and you see well they're going to put let they're going to put this thing on the side of your head and it's just going to shoot zap electricity just all over into your brain everywhere it doesn't seem to be targeted it didn't seem to be it was like let's just electrocute you i mean you know and uh and then uh to the point where you don't die and uh, then they replaced that it seemed like with drugs that I assumed, and I think most of us assumed, were like targeted at a very specific uh, uh, area or something. And yet I come to find out, and I feel that they're just like the electroshock therapy, that they really just dope you up. Am, am I, does that, is that making, does that make sense? That makes absolute sense. You know, for decades we were taught that depression was caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, a number of years ago, we knew that was false. Well, uh, in Britain, they did a big study uh, this year and released it. And it turns out, no, there's the, the chemical imbalance is a myth as a cause. Nobody knows what causes people to get depressed. And yet, you know, roughly 80% of Americans believe in this chemical imbalance. It's in our health textbooks. So mm-hmm. our children are being taught false data. And, of course, since it's a chemical imbalance, the cure is a chemical. Yeah, and yeah. that's crazy because if you actually look at the labels for the psychiatric drugs, most of them will tell you in one way or another that the mecha- mechanism of action is unknown. Mm-hmm. So what are they targeting? Yeah, it's the same thing. They're just uh, sticking a, a drug in you that they hope, just like uh, shocking, sending electricity through you. That sounds so barbaric, but am I hearing that uh, that, that is coming back these days? Is is electroshock making a, a return? That's what I've heard, and, uh, you know, it never really went away. Unfortunately, last session, you know, Texas is the one state that has that had a really good reporting system on how many people were getting shock treatment, side effects, ages, mm-hmm. which is really important because uh, as we studied that over the years, um, you know, it turned out that there were people in their late 90s getting shocked. It's wow. crazy. Mm. And... Uh, 
you know, and you have to understand what they're doing is they're inducing a grand mal seizure. Right. And, yeah. you, and the difference between now and one flew over the cuckoo's nest is they give you a muscle paralyzer. <laughs> so they, yeah, relax so you a little bit. And so you can't see the seizure. Uh, oh. But yeah. it's still happening. And uh, so people are repeatedly being exposed to anesthesia and seizures. Mm. So uh, I had lost track of what I was thinking a while ago, but I want to come back to the teenagers. And one of the things that uh, I taught middle school for nine years. And I can tell you, without having a degree in psychology or sociology or or psychiatry, I can tell you without any doubt in my mind that all teenage childrens are a middle a mental mess at some point or time. Another, as as they're going through puberty, your body is going through all kinds of things, and so. A lot of these things that they're they're trying to treat, and I'm using quote marks in the air, probably don't even need treating. They are they are. This is normal teenage teenagers being teenagers. Am I am I dead wrong on that, Lee? Or am I? Is there some truth in that? You know, there's no doubt that some people have problems. There's no doubt about that at all. But you know, we worry that yeah, we're pathologizing normal phases of development, uh, and starting much before teenhood. <clears throat> but, um, you know, it doesn't really even matter how you feel about mental health, how you feel about drugs. You may swear by them, you may swear about them. The, the thing is choice. The thing is being truly informed of benefits or purported benefits, risks, and alternatives. And if, if we're not even being notified about surveys or screenings, you know, it's starting from a bad place. Does it get better? Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we know which doctor to trust, Lee? If you're telling us this, and 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 so our kid may be having some may be having some uh, issues. A 13 year old girl or is depressed or something, and the parents who are greatly concerned and they they don't want to let her just flop in this. And where where do you where do you what do you tell a parent who is just all of a sudden maybe this is their oldest one and this is nothing they've ever dealt with and they see and hear so much information and drugs and therapy and all that how where do you get a parent started in that situation Lee Well I mean with with a doctor I mean the first thing is look on the medical board look on the medical board website what's their disciplinary history mm-hmm. uh, read some reviews about them because the truth is there's not a, there's not enough that we can know about who's treating our children. Mm-hmm. You know, right now, hospital inspection reports for Texas are non-public. You can know more about the place that flips your burger. Right. You can know about the place that does your heart surgery. Wow. But, uh, yeah, do your due diligence, trust your gut, and ask questions, man. And if somebody is getting defensive the minute... You know, you start asking questions. You may want to look for somebody else. Yeah, that's that's a that's a very good sign. That is a very good sign, Lee. We need to take a short break, and then when we get back, I want to make sure that anything that you think is important, we need to discuss that. And uh, so, folks, uh, we're going to take a short break, and we'll we'll be right back with Lee Spiller. Um, and you can st- you can uh, go to Texas ED nine one one to find more about this uh, this group that's going to be in uh, Kerrville on uh, Tuesday night, the 15th. And uh, it's got uh, some information up there. They've got a little, uh, oh, yeah, they've got flyers. If you go there, go to the tour button. Uh, 
join the movement about us. Uh, that is TexasED911.com. Y'all stay tuned. We'll be right back. Protecting Texas for future generations. Matt Long on the Hill Country Patriot. The Hill Country Patriot. We are back. Thank you so much uh, for sticking around with us. By the way, uh, for about a week, this program is up on hillcountrypatriot.com. After that, um, and they rotate them out for about a week, I try to get them up on permanent uh, spots. Um, I get them up. See, that's what I happen when I don't push the, the button right. I'm going to have all my closing music has just disappeared. Um so, and our programs are up for about a uh, a week up on Hill Country Patriot, and then after that, uh, they are, you can find them on numerous podcast sites. I have them up on Spotify. You can also go to thematlongshow.com, thematlongshow.com, and there's links there to all of this program. All right, so I had Lee Spiller in the studio with me, and uh, this last segment here, I told him, I said, we just need to, whatever is most important, the word that you need to get out, Lee, is what we need to talk about. So, Lee, the floor is yours. Well, thank you. Yeah, I think the first thing is that parents need to know their rights. Um, when we started getting more school cases and the legislature changed the law to bring more of these programs into our schools, in talking to parents, we learned real quick that parents do not know their rights. So for any parent in Texas, the first thing you should do is Google Chapter 26 of the Texas Education Code. That is the parental rights section, and it is robust. The next problem is how to enforce those rights. And I think coming to the uh, Texas Ed 911 meeting um, on Tuesday is a very good way to find out what we can do about it because uh, we've got to take this back. You know, parents have a fundamental right to direct the upbringing, education, care, and mental health care of their children, and yet you wouldn't think so if you were to talk to some of the parents I talk to. Um, the next, do your due diligence. What are your children being taught? And it's shameful that parents have such a hard time accessing uh, their kids' instructional materials. Mm. You know, literally, you'll have some parent that'll go down to the school and spend a couple of hours trying to find out. Well, I can tell you, on health textbooks alone... Uh, first when they were being debated by the State Board of Education, and then next when uh, Austin and a few other districts started adopting them, you know, me, an assistant, and a handful of volunteers probably put in about 700 hours reviewing health textbooks. Wow. Parents don't have that kind of time. Mm. And, and these things were chock full of prompts for underage kids to seek professional help. The parents were pretty much cut out of the picture. Like one of the things in the high school health uh, textbook that was adopted tells kids that you know if they need to find a thought therapist maybe they should talk to a nurse a teacher or other relative mm. for help in finding a therapist and maybe that person could even help them by driving them to and from appointments mm. how would you feel if a stranger was driving your child 
to and from appointments, help them find the professional. You know, to me, this is like a flashback. When I started, well, let me let me back up. Before I started, uh, like back in the early 90s, my boss was working on these cases where schools had been targeted, school counselors had been played kickbacks, and kids were ending up in the psych hospital. And, and the, the, the schools were getting kickback. The counselors were. The counselors were. And in some cases, hospital chains actually provided school counselors free of charge who then just coincidentally referred back to the hospitals. And all of that came to a halt. And uh, uh, the nation's largest psych hospital chain ended up shutting down. And uh, there were congressional hearings. And, uh, I mean, so, it, it was insane. What right? What do you say? One of the things, and and being a teacher and and having been in the education, and I took one year off in 1991. <laughs> that was, I was going to take one year off in 91, and uh, I never made it back. Um, but uh, one of the things we heard that was, well, there's a lot of irresponsible parents out there, right? We got parents out there that just don't pay any attention, and somehow, it is the duty of the of the school and the teachers at the school just to take over the the raising of that child because those people don't think that kid is getting the right whether it's the right food the right mental health or anything like that and so there's a justification for 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 the schools doing some of these things what do you how do you answer that number one bad cases make for bad policy Number two, uh, while there are some parents who are bad, I, I think the numbers would be a lot fewer than you would think. You know, in the mid-2000s, I was working on foster care reform, and we worked with a number of families, and if you would read their case file, they would look like an expert. Mm-hmm. When mm-hmm. you actually talk to them, no, they loved their kids just like anybody else. And most of them, their kids weren't removed for abuse. Mm-hmm. Right? They were abused. They were removed for what's called neglectful supervision. You know, one case, they were trying to take a kid because um, somebody from the school came to the house and said, hey, I'm here to take your kid to his doctor's appointment. Mom played along. The school person went in on the visit with the kid, you know, left mom in the waiting room, came out with a script for Ritalin. And then the parents are like, no, thank you. We're not going to do that. So they called CPS on them. And we we changed the law to where schools aren't supposed to coerce you that way. But... um, yeah, laws are just uh, uh, words on a piece of paper. Yep, and but we're, of, we're know, running into that exactly. And and you know we're non-political and non- non-partisan. And having worked with people across the spectrum, I think it's pretty universal that parents love their kids mm-hmm. and they want the best for their kids. It should be easier for parents to find out what their options are. If teachers notice a problem, yes, they should notify the parents. Mm-hmm. The school should have a list of resources for the parents to choose from, not the school. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. But th- and that's really, we need to take it back. And, you know, as much as I hate these school board hearings where everybody's all conf- confrontational, the truth is if parents aren't being respected right up front, if they aren't being empowered right up front, then you get that adversarial tone. It's amazing. We started doing parental rights and education speaking tours uh we started in 2019 and um at that time you could give the parent an opt-out letter that they could customize and fill out and the schools would tell them yeah you don't need that 
And we'd go file it anyway. Maybe it'll trigger some dialogue. And the dialogue was great. Parents would call us or email us and go, man, that was, I ended up having a really good conversation. This year when school started, man, there were a lot of parents filing opt-out letters. And uh, it doesn't sound like the response was quite as friendly. Yeah, we're we're getting a lot of pushback. In fact, the parents who are standing up and asking questions, and by the way, not every, uh, and you know this as well as I do, but not every uh, school board, uh, not all parents are confrontational. In fact, what I have found is the confrontational part is usually comes after the third or fourth meeting where they've just kind of been smiled at and told thank you and nothing changes. Um, but we're, we're being told we're in a minority. The parents out there who want to get engaged with their children and in their children's schools, we're being told in a, that we're in a minority and that we need to just sit down and shut up because we don't have a degree in education and we don't know what we're talking about. And we're in a minority. Are parents that, that want to be engaged with in with their schools, are they truly a minority, Lee? I have no idea, but I know this. Most parents care. Yep. You know, I haven't I haven't talked to a single parent that didn't care. Yeah. I've I've talked to parents that were afraid to speak up. Mm-hmm. Because they will get called names sometimes. It's it's just you know, this really needs to turn back into a dialogue. School districts do need to listen. Parents are their children's first educator first protector, first advocate, and the schools, you know, the law says they're supposed to be a partner in their child's education. They should be the driver of their child's education. Absolutely. All right, Lee, we've just got a couple of minutes. I need to, there's a couple of scriptures I need to bring forward. So you got a, you got 30 seconds to wrap up your spiel. Tell us anything you want to say. Oh, just thanks for having me on. And yeah, I hope that plenty of people come out on Tuesday night. Um, it is such a great spread of uh, topics. It is. It's a tremendous resource. And even if, uh, and I, I could give an hour and a half to each one of the four that's going there. So this will be a good introduction, and you'll have the ability to follow up with some of these folks. Lee, thank you so much for coming in. We have, uh, I got two scriptures I want to talk about uh, today. And uh, one of them is one that the uh, left has um, picked up and is using. And they know this scripture, Proverbs 22 and 6 better than most Christians. They have figured it out. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. The left have picked that scripture up. They don't call it scripture, but uh, they are certainly using that idea behind it, and we need to be training up the child on the way we think they should go when it's your child. And then this last one, this one is the Matthew 18 and 6, and I believe it shows up in a, in a couple of different places in the New, New Testament. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Man, I you know there's a lot of every a lot of people talk about the love of Christ and and love and and Christianity is love and yet you read a scripture like that and man that's love with a millstone um for our children folks we've got to take back our children's our children's education we have to take back that control and you can do it by getting engaged and Lee and his friends um and uh, Monica and uh, Melissa and Kristen will all be at Faith Christian Church on Tuesday 
night, and um, that is at seven o'clock, November fifteenth. This is so. This is so vital um, that if if this is the burr under your saddle, these guys are going to be at the Capitol, and you can do something about that um, when we um, when we uh, start going up to the Capitol. And uh, here we go. We're off to an awesome Friday. Lorraine is going to be in here any minute now. Actually, she just walked in the door. Man, she's taking off her shoes, getting comfortable. It's uh, going to be uh, going to be a great one. Y'all stick around.